why? Well, I, uh, I, um... She stuttered. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know who the hell you think you are, but we're the Malones. Okay? Who was it? Who arrested my mother? Who the hell is this guy? I don't know. I'm gonna ask you to leave. Officer Morris. And Matthew Granahan making his way to the cage as well. If my memory serves me correct, Matthew uh, was the voice of Gladiator back in the day. Uh, quite a well-known character in the MMA world here, especially in Florida. And there he is, making his way to the cage. There he is. As, they, uh, as they've always said to him, uh, his, his, his catchphrase, of course, is too handsome for Hollywood. And UFC Hall of Famer, my broadcast partner here in the boot, American Psycho Stefan Bonner. Make sure you're beautiful, baby. Damn, oh, baby. Damn, sexy. Sexy. <laughs> and happy Independence Day, everyone. Welcome, the King of Connecticut. Matthew J. Granahan, how you doing, sir? Oh, man, that was a great intro. I'm doing great. Awesome. That was a great match there in Japan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Aoki, rest in peace. Guys, before uh, we begin, thank you all for tuning in. I know today is a big day. And I want to start with some of the most important words ever written down. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence, ladies and gentlemen. So today is a very important day. Thank you for joining me. And I would like to talk about a lot of things today. We're going to talk about a little bit about your background to open up with that to everybody and to everyone around the world to everyone that comes here i want to talk about american history i want to talk about mob history because you're knowledgeable about this catch wrestling history because you're knowledgeable about that pro wrestling mma stories funny stories stripper stories so matthew j granahan the king of connecticut Tell everybody a little bit 
about yourself? Hey, first of all, thank you so much, the Wolfman, Mr. Theodore, for having me on your show. Great show. Great podcast. Love the videos. And uh, I really enjoyed interviewing my friend Larry Mazza for your show. Everybody check that out. Yeah, I've been known as the pernicious purveyor of preposterous pomposity, uh, the paragon of pugilistic punditry. I've done a lot of things uh, in my life from uh, amateur wrestling and pro wrestling and grappling and uh, a little MMA, uh, not a, not an extensive career, but I competed a bit, cornered some guys, did, got to broadcast with guys like Stefan Bonner that you played in that clip and uh, and King Mo and, and Dan Severn, as well as uh, Frankie Edgar up there for my buddies, Rob McCraw's promotion, Nova MMA years ago. Um, so I've had a lot of fun, man, over the years. Also done some stand-up comedy and got to manage uh, a number of guys. Uh, don't want to forget to talk about the press conference we just did in uh, New Jersey last weekend at the showboat. Uh, it involves uh, the mob, and it also involves Phil Baroni, uh, the NYBA, who uh, I have a long and storied uh, history with as well. Uh, but primarily over the years, I've always loved uh, wrestling. I got an opportunity to go back home in 2017 and headline a show for my old team, which I used to be a captain of years ago, and raise money for the mats. But primarily, it's my my uh, primary thing in life has always been in the, the booze business, um, whether it be talk about the strip clubs when I was a younger man and then working in booze distribution uh, for the last 20 plus years. So, man, I had a, had a fun life and we can talk about it, tell some of those stories, man. But I want to say, first okay. and foremost, happy Independence Day. And what I want to say is a quote myself from uh, from Benjamin Franklin that I read this morning. And it's, it's a really telling quote. You know, Memorial Day is to honor the fallen. Independence Day is to honor our independence. Great quote from Benjamin Franklin. War is when your government tells you who the enemy is. Revolution is when you figure it out for yourself. And that's what this day is about, independence. Absolutely. So so people that are, are tuning in, we got, we got a guy from Russia tuning in right now. Um, I don't know, Wu Bear, if you're over here or um, perhaps in China or Taiwan, let me know. Um, you know, we have people around the world. And I think for the most part, other than the completely brainwashed nowadays, everybody wants freedom. They want freedom. They want prosperity for their families. And I think that is what true America is always meant, that if you're willing to work hard, that the possibilities might be endless. I think that is really what America is about, should be about forever. And, uh, you know, there's forces at hand trying to take that away from everybody. And, and quite frankly, idiots that are so easily uh, brainwashed. So for people that don't understand, guys, England was being very oppressive to the 13 colonies in America. And in 1776, we finally declared our independence uh, with 27 grievances against King George. And that really started for about 13 years earlier. There was a lot of problems we weren't happy. They were being oppressive. They were 
this tax and that tax and trying to take all money without really benefits and without representation. So taxation without representation. So there's things you can read about the Stamp Act of 1765. Basically anything we printed, they wanted on their paper that's stamped as taxation. So really controlling like they do nowadays with the media, controlling free thought by you have to go through us. It has to be on our stamp paper. You have to pay us taxes, uh, et cetera. The Townsend Act, and then we had the Boston Massacre and five people were, were manslaughtered, murdered uh, by British troops. And, you know, this kind of stuff is still going on now and it goes on around the world. And uh, myself, I'm all about good people taking care of each other and being able to live the pursuit of happiness, which nowadays you got people, <laughs> you got people that are thinking they're the revolutionary and actually they're siding with the, the real big families that actually control this planet. Um, and, and it's, absolutely ridiculous they are against what real freedom is again i'm going to read the quote we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights unalienable rights means those are given to you by the universe by god by being a human no one can take those away which is our constitutional rights that they are chipping away at more and more. Those are unalienable rights. Those are given not by man, but by a God or a creator or just by being a human being. And those rights among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness is why people from around the world come to America to try and reach their American dream to take care of themselves and their families. What, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely, Dan. You know, yes. I am a big believer in uh, in free speech and uh, in the Constitution. And um, I I listen to everybody. I always say, you know, seek information, not confirmation. And our founding fathers were such big believers in. Uh, and the freedom of speech, it's in our first amendment. And it's it's unfortunate today that we have this, this censorship. I call it I call it corporate censorship that's going on today. And I feel like these these big mega corporations that are controlling the flow of information, that they should really be treated as as utilities, like your phone companies. They can't listen in on your calls, right? I, I think these these mega companies I won't mention any names that um, that are are that are hindering our First Amendment rights um, that it's the government should be there to protect our First Amendment. Um, it's about independence. It's about the individual, and uh, it's our First Amendment for a reason. Yeah, I, I think you said that very well. I mean. Again, without naming names because of, you know, they will do bad things. Uh, guys, we're going to get to catch wrestling and MMA and funny stories and all that. But today being Independence Day, I want to discuss that a bit first. So please stay tuned. And no matter what country you're in, please think about what this means. And really, America was kind of the highlight of the world of 
human rights. Okay. And there's a lot of stuff going on now. If there was one flag that was about everything, was about protecting everybody and their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, it was the American flag. And now you got people turning their backs to that and they want to put their own propaganda machines, which are really communist propaganda machines and uh, a big old country that really doesn't want to do as good. And the politicians that are taking their money, the ones that are breaking their oaths, the ones that should be in military tribunals, a lot of bad stuff going on. But America was the place where everyone could come to. And if you were willing to work hard and maybe move and, and, and try to find a place to get a good job or to open your own business. And we've seen that. And the people that think they're the rebels now are backing these billionaire companies run by billionaires that really report to the five bigger families that really run this the world. Uh, when 47 companies are actually subdivisions of nine major companies that actually control 99.2 or something percent of the world's money. And these people, these young people are so easily manipulated that they think that they're going against the system. You know, F you, I won't do what you tell me, but they're actually backing censorship. They're backing these billionaires. They're backing these companies. They're backing these organizations that are run by people trained, uh, by horrible Marxists that have the biggest human rights violations that have murdered people, people just disappear, imprison people in Venezuela. These people are not intellectuals and they haven't studied history. Yeah. So guys, think about what goes on here and in your own countries and just be more aware of what is really going on. And you're not fighting the system. You're, you're a lot of these people are actually backing these billionaires that want to depopulate the planet, these billionaires that don't care about you and me, they don't care about the little people. They don't want our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that they closed the world down and they shut down businesses. They've destroyed the middle class and now they're raising taxes. Taxes we fought our independence over was like 2%. And now they're taxing 42 to 52% on everybody. They're taxing you on money and taxing you when you buy stuff and taxing you on the home and the property you already own. That is not the American way. And now they want it to be 76, 80% for their craziness. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's so true, so true, Dan. And, you know, you, everybody should just look up, number one, the Boston Tea Party, and they could see – especially on this Independence Day, what our forefathers fought over. And, you know, it was so telling when the whole the whole corona thing was going on. And, and, and uh, um, this was exposed by our last president a bit when there was a, a situation for uh, folks getting their stimulus, right? And they put this thing together, but that was such a tiny percentage of where, what that money what was in the pot for that mm. bill, the stimulus. And so much of it was money that was going to to foreign countries. And one thing that if you study our forefathers, one thing our forefathers believed in strongly was avoiding foreign entanglements. And that was a big part of the independence as well. And and a lot of what you're talking about ties into and I don't want to go I don't want to go too deep into this and I, I don't want to get you know any strikes against you or anything but people need to do the research on their own of what's truly going on
uh, in, in on the political side, you know, and decide for yeah, themselves. Guys, guys, we're not trying to go too deep. We're just trying to talk about what America means, what it really means. That that flag symbolized everyone, and men meant everybody back then. Okay, those words are the most important words probably ever written down. And that's what every country should be like. And they're trying to make America not America anymore. And it's disgusting to me. And we uh, we want people to come here legally. We want people to reach the American dream. We want people to be able to uh, provide for their families, to keep their businesses open. Um, you know, my own grandfather came here 15 years old. We think he was 15. We're not for sure. But we think he was 15 in 1913. My grandfather came and went through Ellis Island. And, of course, they chopped the end of his name off to make it sound more American. That way maybe the Irish cops didn't beat you up so bad. But <laughs> that was America. And, and he had to move around and do various jobs to eventually open up his own uh, candy store. Okay, and he provide sugar to the bootleggers because, again, the government oversteps like they always do. And they want to, you know, take away our alcohol and our tobacco and our Second Amendment. Yeah. And there's been all these attacks on the first, the second, the fourth uh, that are unbelievable. Um, so, you know, I just want the young people to listen in. And, guys, we're going to have fun talks about mob history and fight call-outs and MMA and pro wrestling. We're going to get there. But take a second to realize how good you got it here. And if you're not here, question why are your human rights really available in other countries? Are you allowed to own land? Here we can own land, but yet if you don't pay your property tax, they take it. We have gone so far to fighting a war over 2% tax to this, I mean, making all these biggest criminals in our Congress and our Senate, you know, on $150,000 a year, how are they all voting against our rights and they're multimillionaires? Where did all that money come from? And okay. at that point, at that yeah. point Dan, how can you have something like eminent domain here, you know, where the government can, can seize your land for a fraction of the amount uh, we, we need to be vigilant and remember with it being Independence Day that we need to to fight for the rights that our forefathers uh, that fought for for us. And, and we were founded by rebels. I mean, we were. I'm not proposing anything, but there's a certain line. And, and boy, are they pushing that line. And, um, you know, they're trying to make everyone un-American and unpatriotic and unmanly. And there's a war on manliness. There's a war uh, and it's a uh, it's a war uh, perpetuated through the media, through the movies, through the t television. And I've worked in the movie and TV industry, you know, as you saw a little clip in the opener. But, you know, they ain't working for our behalf. And if you look at who really owns more than 50 percent of those companies, it's a big old country that starts with a C and uh, they, they ain't looking out for our rights because they don't take care. Uh, they have the worst human right violations against their own people. Can't even own land in their country. You rent it for like 70 years. So you need to, you, people disappear and people get prosecuted for religion. 
this country was founded on all these beliefs that you could be you as long as you don't stomp all over me. And that's what all these people think and they're rebellious now. We had a flag that represented everyone, and that's the American flag. Okay? Our Constitution protected everybody. Okay? And, and, and the way our Constitution should be interpreted, according, according to Thomas Jefferson, is through that quote I read about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you know, you know, now we get to the big tech and their repression, and my videos aren't getting put out there. And um, they are acting as a publisher. You yourself get banned 30 days all the time, right? And they're acting as a publisher, and they're it shouldn't, um, it shouldn't exist. You know, it shouldn't exist. I mean, they really, they really need to be treated like public utilities, and that's conversation. And that was that probably going to happen, and now that definitely isn't going to happen. So, yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that we are so easily forced to hide in our holes and not say what we don't like is going on because of tech and because of the threat of losing our jobs and this and that just for saying, you know, to quote some great music, F you, I won't do what you tell me. What happened to that? What happened to that? Dan, I want to bring this up too, because it's killing comedy and I've done stand up for years. And what I get banned for most of the time on Facebook is jokes. People need to lighten up. We need to stop taking ourselves so seriously as well. We're so tense. Everybody's so tense. You know, we need to we need to chill out too, and and we need to take a step back and say, hey man, you know what happened to the old hippie thing? You do your thing, I do mine, man. We've forgotten that too. I mean, we've we've gotten to a point now where uh, it's the worst of all worlds, but because people are so angry, they're so tense. We have these great ways to communicate and do our thing and get our, get our creativity out there. But it's, it's de facto censorship now in comedy. Like I can't write jokes anymore. I'm going to be doing a show at the Balabar uh, next weekend with Carlos Carr and with Larry Mazza. And I know I'll be among friends. Uh, and I can go down there and I can, I can write edgy jokes and tell edgy jokes, but not if, if I want to get paid gigs now, I mean, I can't, I can't do that. You know, it's, it's, it's killed comedy, man. It really has. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's killed everything. Yeah. You have to be quiet and divisiveness. You can't even talk to your coworkers. You can't even, um, really live free like the 1964 civil rights act said fear of of or just normal middle of the road beliefs you can't even on my first amendment i don't like you telling me what i have to think and say uh anyone that hasn't read 1984 system it's just it's just horrible horrible stuff and let's talk about people from all over about your grandparents about girls we've dated from other countries you believe this 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 mass brainwashing campaign like nazi germany people that like myself that have traveled you see what 
of oppression and really poor people are. Now, I, you know, I've traveled and I'm sure you've traveled and we see people and we hear about real people. You won't get a more patriotic person like the Cubans in Florida. True, yeah, in Miami, okay? definitely. Like you by Madero and, 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 and by, you know, people that were, their families were really oppressed. And every phone call is listening to you like it really is here. It, 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 it's horrible. And people from around the world could come here. And if you do things the right way and legally, and you, you learn a little bit of the language and what America was supposed to mean and our history, you can you can stay here and you can do it the right way and you can open a business and and take care of your family you know i i feel for these people and we used to talk to our neighbors and i got invited over last night to, to my mexican neighbors and they're like here and i talked about what independence day was to us they talked about mexican independence days really in september it's not cinco de mayo that was just a uh, a small city you know and and you used to be able to talk to your neighbors and appreciate what America has to offer. Yeah, I can drop some Spanish on you there. de septiembre es día de independencia para México for the Mexican people because I've you know, I've dated uh, the last couple of years. Uh, uh, Glory, uh, her, her stage name is Glory Diferente. She was uh, a star in Venezuela. She used to sell out stadiums down there before the coup. And where did they go? Where did they go? When, uh, when when things changed, they came here to America. They didn't go well, yeah. to Mexico. Starvation yeah. isn't great. And anyone that um, follows certain manifestos, within 10 years, your country, your people are starved and your own government shooting your own people. Those absolutely yeah. happened in Venezuela, which was the richest country, okay, still, still in the whole Central and South Americas. It was the richest country, the biggest importer of $35,000 Ford pickup trucks. Everyone was happy. Everything was great. And within five to ten years, whenever this stuff happens, don't say, oh, the true thing wasn't – no. Study history. Every country it's ever happened leads to the biggest human rights violations, the biggest amount of murdering of your own people in, in, in mass millions. Whether you look at you know, Mao or you look at um, Stalin, it, it always happens. And now you got people that are trained dividing America by by male, female, by color of pigments. How stupid is that? And they're trying to divide everybody because they don't want us uniting together and taking care of our neighbors. Yeah. They want us judging by color instead of the content of character, like Martin Luther King Jr. said. It's despicable. Uh, And all this stuff in business and getting people fired is despicable. That is against the 1964 Civil Rights Act. These people are the biggest hypocrites uh, ever. And America should always be, and really the world should be, about human freedom, independence, uh, about the golden rule. You don't mess with me, I don't mess with you. But now they're, they're, oh, our flag, you got to raise our flag. No, we have a flag. We have a flag that encompasses everyone. I don't care if you're gay or this or that or whatever. You do your thing, let me do mine, and don't trample my rights, and I don't trample yours. That's the true American way. That's what independence is all about, uh, Dan. Independence uh, is is more 
than uh, just the Revolutionary War. I mean, it's all about like your right to do what you want to do. Look, man, I mean, there's a great quote. It's a song quote. It says, ever since the beginning, to keep the world spinning, it takes all kinds of kinds. And there's always going to be different kinds of people, man. And I'm, I'm somebody who's – I consider myself very tolerant to other people. Do your thing, man. If you stay out of my way, that's cool. And, and um, most, Americans are, most Americans are fairly middle of the road. They're not yeah. radicals. The problem yeah, now – They're letting the radicals take over. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. They're gonna drive, they want to drive everyone apart. They are divisive. They are hypocrites. They don't want – they want everyone to be racist as opposed to people being open and, and loving all. As me and you do with the women we date and everything and the friends we have and our neighbors, the way me and you are, that's the way most people are. And I welcome people from other countries. I got a lot of YouTube followers from other countries. And, you know, I appreciate what other countries and cultures – have to offer, but I'm always about freedom and human rights and freedom of speech and freedom of religion and all these great freedoms and, and people being able to pursue their own happiness, even if they come here from another country legally and do it the right way and, and are pro-American. I gladly throw out all these anti-Americans and, and take <laughs> taking a lot of patriotic people from other countries that will appreciate what America offered and offers them and their families the pursuit of happiness. And when you're closing down businesses and you're destroying the middle class, that is not the pursuit of happiness. When you're trying to read 40, we fought over 2%, 42 to 52, 53% taxes. And you want to raise that to 76, 80% and tell us what we can and cannot eat and where we cannot and cannot go and what we can and cannot drive while you're flying on your private airplanes and racking in millions and money is disappearing from all these special programs supposedly to help people. So I think let, let's move on. And, and maybe we can segue into this with a bit of history of your own family coming to America. And maybe we can bridge the gap from American history to uh, mob history, if you're willing to. Sure, man. That's cool. I just want to say one last thing. Yeah, sure. Take your time. With what happened with uh, with Corona and with all these shutdowns, people don't don't see how it worked and 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 see how it was it was kind of kind of designed for what I talked about before, like big corporations. You know, I worked with so many restaurants and and bars and small independent mom and pop. And what happened was when they did all these these closures, these forced closures, a lot of those folks were forced out, and it created this. It created this situation with commercial real estate where that real estate was all gobbled up by the bigger corporations. And and we lost a lot of independence there. Um, so we kind of move on to other things, talking about like my my family, very proud of my own family and my own background. You know, I've, uh, I've been down to Sicily, uh, down in Agrigento, where Agrigento, where my grandparents uh, came from on my mother's side. Uh, on my father's side, we actually wrote about my grandfather, Patrick uh, J. Granahan, in the Rough and Tumble book I did with Eric Paulson. Mm -hmm. he, was, uh, he was a big brick house uh, stocky guy, came from uh, Ireland, from County Mayo. They all came through Ellis Island, you know, and he... Uh, 
and he did some fighting in the coal mines when he was younger. So I have a have a really cool appreciation for my own background, and and I understand, you know, the the oppression situation because who what, what group was the largest victim of lynching in the history of the American South? Uh, it was Sicilians, and it was Sicilians down in New Orleans, uh, eighteen ninety six, uh, I believe, and um, that was a massive massive public lynching. No, we were we were not we were viewed as as kind of the other the swarthier people at that time. So I can understand, you know, but you can't ever be become a victim. You can't ever allow uh, the the victimhood mentality to control you. We had Tulum Starks, uh, the author of Black Lies Matter, uh, on my show, the title of his book, and uh, he we talked a lot about that. Uh, so. Yeah, man. I, I mean, we can we can move on to. We've got so many things to talk about, but I think we've 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 covered the politics. The bottom line is, do you think for yourself? That's why I always tell people: do your own research. You don't have to believe everything I say. Go out, do your own research, and think for yourself. Um, but at the same time, understand and appreciate that others have a different view, and and it bleeds into comedy. What? I think is funny might be different than what you think is funny. Don't try to ban what I think is funny or what your neighbor thinks is funny and you don't. And it kind of, it kind of just goes back to the whole idea of independence. Um, like we're talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, let's get into a little bit because, and guys, we're going to talk about his catch wrestling book with Eric Paulson. We're going to talk about MMA and pro wrestling and all that because we've both been involved in those worlds. Uh, we're going to t- eventually we'll get to the 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 mob, if you will, ex mob callouts to enter the fight world. I think that's very interesting that that you kind of represent um, this this interesting callouts that could happen for boxing and MMA fights. So we're, we're going to get to all that. And even the catch wrestling history and the mob history, that all is part of American history, especially most most people, you know, came through Ellis Island in New York. And that all really goes into New York and New Jersey history. And so anything you want to give us about, um, you know, the history of the mob and eventually the five families and, and, and all that, uh, I think it would be an interesting subject. Sure. I can, I can talk about that uh, now. You know, a lot of people don't understand that history, and there's a reason why. You know, when I do these these interviews, like we've done a few now with Larry Mazza, and I was just did uh, with John A. Light in the, uh, uh, at the uh, Showboat Casino, the call out in the press conference. Uh, you'll never hear me use the word uh, mafia. Uh, and the way I'm pronouncing it that way for a reason. The reason why, like you say, you know, I have uh, Sicilian lineage and uh, that word uh, ties to our island. It, it is not a word that even mainland Italians uh, should use. Uh, it goes back to Sicily was an island that was occupied by a number of people. It was occupied uh, by the Arabs. It was occupied by the Greeks. You know the Moors, who were the Africans, the um, the French, um, and the situation with uh, that word is it comes back to the occupation in France, and uh, it goes back to an old fable about uh, a man who was 
uh, his daughter was raped and he screamed to mafia, mafia. That means my daughter, my daughter. And the rebels who were trying to overthrow the French government uh, beat this guy to death and hung him in the public square to let the French know, look, you know, don't F with us. So that's that it's always been that that fable has always been tied to that word. And the original mafia in Sicily, which is still in Sicily, is never in the United States. It was sort of an offshoot in the United States. We call it Cosa Nostra, which is our thing. But you also had Cosa Nostra was also a mix of uh, the uh, Camorra from up in uh, Naples. And now you have like Andretta was really big in, um, in mainland Italy. So I never use that, you know, that word uh, mafia, but it's a word that's been really, really taken and um, abused. And, and, and it doesn't offend me because that's the way everything happens in the world. man. it's like now they say the Russian, that word, you know, or all these other groups. It can't be that word is unique to the island. You know, to, and, and, and so when things kind of got going in America and New York, they were really very separate from their Sicilian yeah. brothers. Yeah, were, there was a separate organization. I mean, there might have been a little dialogue or conversations at times, but really it's kind of a uniquely American or mob. To interject, Dan, you did have guys that would come over uh, from Sicily and, and here we call them like the Zips that would um, be the traditional Sicilian gangsters um, that would sometimes come and work with the different families. So there might have been some coordination, but the, the Cosa Nostra is, is really the, the American, you know, the American mob. Um, and, it, and it's it's unique because I'll say it like I say, whenever I interviewed uh, any of these gangsters, I always say the same thing. I say it is so unique that what started as a secret society on the island where my own parents and grandparents came from is ironically now part of American popular culture and history. The Kennedy assassination, the Sopranos, the Godfather movie. Now, when the Godfather movie came out, my own grandfather and from uh, my mother tells a story of her grandfather, which is my great grandfather, they were among those that did not want that movie to come out because that's that's secret stuff. That's but and and if you know the story of Joe Colombo um and his Italian rights civil civil rights organization, yeah. they fought for that movie not to come out. You know, Larry and I got into that. So I don't want to get too deep into that history. But you know it's so crazy, man, that now it's come full circle and I'm doing these interviews with these guys. It should yeah. be what should be private. And the way I look at it is this, you know, Cosa Nostra has always been about making money and it used to be that you had to keep quiet to make money. Now these guys are making money with these, with these podcasts, you know? So yeah. it's, uh, yeah. And, and thank you. Thank you for the great interview with Larry Mazza guys. If you don't know who Larry is and later on, we're going to talk about John A. Light. Um, Look them up and 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 on my my Dan the Wolfman uh, channel, uh, you did a very good interview with Larry. I'm in the, uh, I think I'm on the sixth or seventh chapter of Larry's book. I mean, it grabs you. It's very intriguing. 
uh, very interesting. Um, and guys, there is a link below this video uh, at the top of the description to uh, purchase Larry's book. He autographs each one personally. Uh, he was also a martial artist, big into kickboxing, um, and, and got his. And at some point, he'll probably come on my podcast. So that's a whole interesting world, and it's a world you know. You kind of know some of these guys. We kind of know some of these guys. We know some of their history and some of their stuff. And yeah, nowadays, I mean, that's all open. Most of them maybe did their time. They're out. They're not about that life anymore. Uh, you know, but they can make money doing a podcast, telling some stories, talking about each other, maybe even putting on some gloves. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting. But I, but you got anything more? I think it's really interesting. These kind of five families uh, developed in New York, and they were very much involved in the building New York. Uh, I mean, literally in the construction business and uh, waste removal business in kind of, you know, being maybe hands in, in politicians' pockets. And even uh, I had an interview with uh, NYPD Detective Ray Garcia. You know, the cops grew up right next to the mobsters. Everybody knew who each other was. It, oh, yeah. and, and the politicians and the construction business, it kind of worked together in the melting pot that was New York, that was America. Mm -hmm. So that is a, it really is a big part of American history when you think about it, because everything yeah. went through New York. And then yeah. spread out yeah. to the colonies and America expanded. But it, all, all the immigrants went through Ellis Island in New York. You, you know, it, it's a big part of American history. And they really kind of um, shaped everything, I guess. Yeah, so Dan, it's interesting. Uh, New York is actually not where the original Italian uh, organized crime started in New Orleans um, first. And it was, I told you that story about the lynching. And that that was they were very influential in New Orleans and they ended up taking care of the, the some of the cops and people who do who, who perpetuated those uh, those atrocities with the lynchings. And that kind of started. And then and then it kind of, you know, New York is, is big in the evolution of of the five families. I actually have a joke uh, about that with everything going on now. I say, you know, did you hear that the, the five families in New York are putting out a Christmas album? It's called Everybody Sings, you know, because it's because everybody's singing. Now. Yeah, which 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 yeah. I mean, I think led to their downfall. And I think everyone started singing because they didn't keep the old ways. And eventually everyone got into dr the drug business. And yeah. I think getting in the drug business led to Rico and, you know, traveling through states and that's when I think Rico and the drug business, I think that eventually led to everybody singing and rat, you know, ratting out on each other and taking deals. And I think that was the downfall of the American mob. Yeah, I think Rico to me, is something that I've always thought was un-American. The whole idea of Rico, especially we're talking today on Independence Day, that's my, my view. But yeah, and I think now... They're a lot. They're a lot more quiet, which is good. But you think about we're ta we're talking about this this boxing uh, this this boxing exhibition, uh, which hopefully will take place with uh, Mr. A Light and Gotti the Third. And you think about the Teflon Don, 
John Gotti, he was the antithesis of of Omerta and of everything that Cosa Nostra was supposed to be about. He wanted to be a rock star. You know, he yeah, wanted he, to be. He, he had the flashy yeah. suits, and he he flaunted it. He flaunted it way too much. And I'm not speaking yeah. bad about the Gottis, okay? But yeah. John Gotti, senior, he, he you know he was flaunting it even in court. He was flaunting it with the press. Oh, yeah. He was flaunting it everywhere he went. You know, it's okay to be a little bit stylish like yourself, but I mean, it was a little bit above and beyond. Yeah. Way too yeah. public where, you know, perhaps even the government has kind of worked hand in hand. I mean, they even did. You know, World War Two. they even reached oh, yeah. out. They even yeah. reached out to, to, to get the mob's help. Yeah. You know, and in Cuba, Mussolini. Assassinate Castro in World War II. Yeah. yeah. So, in a way, they've worked together and maybe turned a blind eye until it was too in everyone's face. It was too in the papers. It was too much on the news. And, you and, you know, uh, where the politicians figure they got to step in. Yeah. You, you don't see that. In other places, you see that in New York, and as New York was always like that, but never really saw that so much in um, New England. And that kind of leads me to another story. You're talking about stripper stories. I'll tell you the first first stripper story was um, when I was uh, bouncing at a strip club. They had one in New Haven, and they had one in my hometown. And um, I removed a guy. And we can get into kind of techniques here because this was this was back when I was just just wrestling and, and from judo and but the move that I would use that the folks would know is just like a quick snap down and just uh, what we call like a chin strap reach around and grab them by the chin pull them yeah. into you and walk them out I didn't think it was anything brutal about the way I removed the guy and let me say you know this goes back a long time this was in the 90s uh, let me just say that I was very chill. As I, I always love the word chiller from uh, Roadhouse as opposed to bouncer. Uh, I was never cooler, somebody. Yeah, that, cooler. Yeah, cooler. Chiller. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I've, I've bounced. I've been bouncing since 1995 myself. Yeah. So in this so in this instance, I didn't think I was. Uh, this I was, was at rough. a strip club. This was. At, yeah. Like I said, this is a club uh, in my in my hometown, which is since. Uh, raided and closed and all that. I'm not going to mention names or anything, but they had one in New Haven and they had this club. Okay. But I didn't even think anything of it, right? So uh, I removed this kid. He was a he was a real a hole. He was a real uh, buffoon, and he could come in there kind of intoxicated because this place was a juice bar where you had to bring your, you could bring your own. But he was already intoxicated. But I didn't really know who he was, and um, I. Got a call. I got called in to the club, and one night when I wasn't working, and I was told, um, you know, we've got to, you've got to see these guys in New Haven. So I said, okay, you know, whatever. You know, I was thinking, what am I going to get fired? You know, so um, I, without naming names, um, this this kid was a nephew of a guy who was um, really big with the the patriarchs, which was the 
everybody, you know, kind of public information, the mob in, in New England. And um, and without naming names, you know, they basically questioned me. And um, I said, look, you know, I I didn't go. I didn't rough the kid up. You know, I I, I just moved, removed him like the way I told you, just a quick snap down to pull yeah. him in and you know, hooked his arm and, and walked him out. And I said, and I, and I, and I consider myself to be, and I kind of, you know, was really respectful. These guys said, I consider myself to be one of the calmer, you know, bouncers there, not, and, and there's, there were guys that were, you know, you know, you get some rough bouncers that rough people up. I say, I yeah. never do, you know, I, and, and I don't put my hands on anybody unless it's absolutely necessary. So, so whatever. So found out that he, he was the nephew of this guy, but then ironically, couple of the guys that were in the meeting after we left them they they were talking we were talking outside and they said kid is such an asshole they said you know and they started talking about what a punk this kid was and nobody likes him and then they started talking to me you know and and um we actually actually started hanging out with these guys and they gave me some other you know other stuff to do and i actually ended up managing that club for a while before they closed you know when they were they were actually a club that that was involved in a lot of uh, um, cleaning, cleansing of uh, of money and, and so forth. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, it's I mean it's dirty when it's touched all these strippers and their juices. And yeah, exactly. Stuff, I mean, exactly. The money the money needs to be cleaned. I mean, you exactly. got these dollar bills going up coochies. I don't want right. to. I, I I've worked at a lot of strip clubs in my life, you know. And, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know what I love to do with this club was I was in in Fairfield County, Connecticut. There was a lot of money and we were right by Westchester. They these rich kids would would have these we did like alcohol where we brought the strippers over for you know private parties and stuff. And they had these smoking hot uh Brazilian girls, a couple of them that were sisters and I used to bring them out for private parties. And those were some good times. You know, I want to keep it PG, but uh, had some great, great times back then, and always loved the Latinas, loved the, loved the Brazilians. We, 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 me and you are both people of the world. We, we love people of all backgrounds and colors. We, we don't care. We're, we're lovers, man. That's right. That's, and that's the way the world should be. Yeah, they had one girl there that was Cambodian. That was like a ten, and that was perfect too. I would buy. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't discriminate. You know. Yeah, I don't discriminate either. They're all they're all good by me. Yeah. So, um, so that got you you know a bit of notice and you're managing the club and then you get to know it some kind of, of these evolved. guys. Yeah, that, that kind of evolved into that. And then I actually got found out in advance um, that that club was going to get closed down. And I was I was at the time uh, I, during the days I was I was hawking booze. Um, so. I got out of there, you know, in enough time, um, you know, it was kind of, you know, information. And like you said, a lot of times the way it was, and this is the, the point of the story, the way it is in New York where everybody's so showy, it's a lot different in, in other places in, in Boston and in Rhode Island, you know, Connecticut, where there always was mob presence, but not as showy. And a lot of times, I mean, I, I don't know how many stories I'm going to tell, but I can tell stories uh, about with these guys and certain PD where they were at a house and there were certain things that were seized that they were going to 
that they were going to utilize themselves and then give back to other vendors. Like you talked about the thing that, that got them all in trouble um, that they were dealing with. But, you know, it was, it, it's, it's interesting how things operate uh, in New York. I think they, they've always really flashy. Teflon Don is one great example, but not everybody. Carlo Gambino was very, you know, laid back and, and uh, reserved. Uh, Paul Castellano was, you know, but Gotti was, he's a show, he was a showman, man. Yeah. You know? And it's just, you know, I think it's just, it's just interesting how it all worked, especially in New York and maybe down in Florida. I don't know. It's interesting how you got good cops and you had some dirty cops and mostly all politicians are dirty efforts and you got them all kind of intertwined and then. I mean, they were really, really, I mean, built the skyscrapers and involved in the construction business and the unions. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting stuff. Speaking of the unions, Larry Mazza was, was hired to, you know, kind of work with De Niro um, on that incredibly long movie, recent one (laughs) and all that. So it's just, it's just interesting the dichotomy and the the way it all worked is a melting pot, which is really like the melting pot of America, and it kind of worked. And it almost like certain things have even gotten worse. I would say since since uh, you know Rico and Giuliani and stuff kind of destroyed the, the the mob and the families. And, you know what's and, so ironic? You know, things even become a little bit more wild west. Yeah, a little more dangerous even for civilians. Then even yep. I'm not I'm not saying everything's great and everyone should have been whacked, but most of that stuff was contained with sure. people in the family and people that Absolutely. mooched on twenty five thousand dollar bets. It wasn't just Mister Joe Good Public, you know. They didn't they didn't mess with Mister Joe Good Public. No, that's a great point. You know, that's a great point because I think it's much better when it's organized, uh, and um, and I think that's. They get out of your way because the notion not to uh, not to bother the public, you know, and and, and to keep it within uh, folks who, you know, who wanna want loans or 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 what have you. But uh, what's so interesting when you talk about the police is it it goes back to this press conference I hosted last weekend uh, at the showboat in Atlantic City. Uh, your viewers probably know the New York badass Phil Baroni's from UFC and from Pride. I know you worked with him and trained him um, on a couple of his fights, but they they probably don't know his background, and there's no reason that they would. Um, but Phil himself was heavily involved with the Gambino family, and um, Phil himself was involved in scores and in, and in, and in robberies and in pipings and a number of things. Uh, I'm not speaking out of school here because John Alight has recently uh, talked about this and he talked about it in press conference. Uh, I know that that was something I would never have brought up, um, but now I think it's a time to bring it up because of that history. And people don't know, know yeah. uh, who John Alight is. When he did his Valuetainment interview, it's over 6 million views. Uh, he's He's definitely out there, and he was partners with uh, Gotti Jr. He's basically their Gotti Jr.'s kind of right-hand man, enforcer, hitman, uh, batter. And he, um, his partner, A-Light's partner, was a gold star detective 
Gold Star NYPD detective by the name of Phil Baroni, who was New York Badass's dad. And his dad also did a number of things. And uh, in not speaking out of school here, because it was all covered in the Gotti Jr. trial. Uh, and uh, some of the stuff that they did and, and, and the whole idea about not dealing in drugs is original with Cosa Nostra. That actually is not part of Sicilian Mafia, but that is part of American Cosa Nostra. One of the things that they did do a lot if they weren't dealing um, was, and it sounds it sound gruesome to your, 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 your viewers, but would be to do home invasions uh, and murder big time dealers and, and, you know, steal from them. And Phil's father was involved in that. So this is real history. A-Light has immunity. Uh, he wants to box Gotti Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, Phil has an amazing history that's never been in an MMA at all. And he wants an MMA fight with Gotti the third. So, I mean, there's this Gotti the third. He's really, he, he's barely scratched the surface. He's not really using his name, but I don't want to talk about that too much because it's out there. We did the press conference. The ball's in the in the Gotti's court, uh, and a number of folks. Stephen Bonner just talked about it on uh, Hannibal's show the other night. A uh, number of folks have talked about it um, in the MMA world, so it's out there. The story's out there. And well, the yeah, I think they're I think they're both interesting to most people, and especially on my channel. He, yeah. he, the mob is always an interesting topic and the Sopranos and Godfather and all that. That's a part of American culture. And you got the fight business, which is also part of all cultures in American culture. And this is kind of a meeting of both. And sure. so, yeah, I've known Phil a long time. I helped him train for one of the Matt Lindland fights. Uh, I've got an interview with Phil where he talks about me helping him out with his jiu-jitsu and stuff. And he did two things in the fight. I forget what they were. I think one was an ex underhook escape off bottom I, I drilled him on because uh, he was yeah. hog-tying the leg with a scorpion lock, a lockdown. And I think he did an underhook escape. And I also showed him how to push the face sideways and frame to get his hips off the wall, off the cage. He did that in one of the Linland fights, two of the things that I drilled him on. And I do have an interview with him at, at AKA up in San Jose years later uh, where we discussed it and he gave me props for, you know, helping him out with some of the, you know, jujitsu catch wrestling type stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I've known, I know Phil a while and guys, if you don't know Phil Peroni back in the day, blasting Dave Manet was machine gun boxing, blasting him out where his head's like a bobblehead against the cage. I think UFC 37, something like that. Well, he can um, you know, really, it, yeah. And so, you know, what, what what you just heard is that Phil Baroni, UFC fighter, Bellator fighter, his dad, Phil Baroni Sr., was a, a dirty NYPD cop that was doing scores and, and robberies and, and, and uh, you know, jacking some of these drug dealers and stuff with John A. Light. So Phil eventually got sucked into doing some of the, you know, little work, let's just say little work when he was just a young guy, I think 16, 17 years old. Um, you know, so he was doing some work and maybe some collecting and, you know, collecting like, you know, Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Right. Uh, Something like that. I think yep. just like, just like in Rocky, that's a great point. Uh, that's, that's shown pretty clearly in the Rocky movie. And that was kind of how, how, how it is. Uh, and and it, it's been a lot of fighters 
and pro wrestlers. I mean, some people know, might know uh, the history of Vic Catroni in Montreal, who was the boss, and uh, Dino Bravo, and how Dino Bravo was murdered. Uh, but it also goes back to, like, in uh, in Godfather 1, um, the first uh, the first Godfather. I'm trying to remember his name in the movie, uh, The Bodyguard, um, that was um, a Colombo guy um, who was actually uh, – uh, who was actually a real Colombo guy, but also was a pro wrestler. Um, he was Lenny Montana as a pro wrestler, and he was uh, help me out here. You know, the bodyguard that uh, uh, gets choked to death. And uh, Luca Brazzi, Luca Brazzi. He was Luca Brazzi in uh, the Godfather, in the original Godfather movie. He had also been a collector for the Colombo family, and it was also a he was also a pro wrestler as well. Um, so there's been, you know, a lot of guys, whether it's boxers or MMA guys that might have come up in a certain area and um, and collected money. Yeah, uh, even know. even Rocky, Rocky Balboa and people love that character. Mm -hmm. But I mean, truth of the matter is he was decking guys in the stomach and threatening to break their thumbs, you know, but oh, we don't break his hands because then he couldn't make money. Yeah. Well, well, don't think Rocky, you know, but you can see that he, you, you do what you got to do, but not against just a random snow. But someone that, you know, is a gambling degenerate, a drug degenerate, that they're needing to borrow money over and over and over again, and they're getting themselves, uh, they're getting themselves in deep. So, 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 so Dan, that actually leads perfectly into my second strip club story, and this is a uh, this is one that is pretty funny. Um, before we before we do that, I wanna I wanna show you just a little clip. Just a little clip of me auditioning to be John A. Light. So let's oh, yeah, watch yeah, this yeah, little clip. Camilla, you're coming with us. Put the fucking gun down. Down now. Put you put your guns down. What are you doing, John? I don't fucking know. Then give me back. Nice. So there's just a little itty bitty clip, and I had I had to learn a whole bunch of dialogue and basically monologues, four different scenes. Um, so that's just you know I only had a day to prepare, but there's just well, a little taste. I'll tell you of an interesting world story. where I'm actually contact to audition to play John A. Light. So right. maybe well, maybe someday I can get Mr. A. Light on my podcast, and it's just, it's just kind of interesting how. You know, everything works out in life. You never know. Yeah, right, right before I came on your show, I actually uh, was uh, texted uh, John, and I uh, I sent him this the picture of my patriotic suit, <laughs> and I told him that I was going to mention the Gotti thing, and I and, and we, we you know we both talked you know text back and forth, and and we both kind of said the same thing: the balls in their court. So we could definitely get him on. But I want to bring that up back to Baroni, okay? Because this is a great, funny story, strip club story. Okay. Ties into what you were just saying. So um, Phil and I uh, were uh, were out one night. Um, we had been out at the lake because he had a uh, – I had set him up to stay with this lady. Um, this chick, Dina, actually would love her name probably on the show because she still loves Phil. Dina Marlowe. 
and she he was living with her she's one of my neighbors just staying with her while while we were doing seminars and stuff so um we had been out on the lake and then um he you know in his in his uh in his uh normal way started yelling at her for no reason and then uh we went out to the strip club and uh so we go out go into the strip club and i knew the bouncer um who was the bouncer and he was kind of managing the place and he was a local fighter uh and I had actually cornered the fight against this guy. And so this guy was a huge fan of Phil's. He was so excited when Phil was there. Um, and he goes, he goes, man, everything's comped. Everything's comped. Your drinks, anything you guys need. He was coming over talking to us. He wanted Phil to tell him stories, all this stuff. So Phil kind of sees this and, and, and I'm doing my thing. Talking. I got this, I got this hot uh, Honduran chick on my lap and, and, um, I feel next thing I know, Phil grabs me and pulls me and he goes, we got to get the food the F out of here. And I said, why? I said, okay. 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 So he comes in, comes over towards the door and these, these three strippers are, are chasing him, coming after him. They're like, give us that back. What the hell? What are you doing? You're crazy. What are you doing? And he, and he shoves one of them back and he's, he goes, get out of here. He goes, fuck. You know, I, I don't know if I can can use profanity yeah. on your show, but uh, yeah, but you you get the point. And so, um, so the next thing you know, uh, he goes, the guy they're they're trying to talk to this fighter, right? That's that's the bouncer, and um, they're like, this guy's he's he's stealing from us, he's robbing us. And the guy goes, what? He goes, this is my guest. Do you know who this is? This is my special guest. And Phil feels like, oh, thank you, bro. He goes, we got to get out of here, man. Thank you, thank you, bro. And he goes to the girls. He goes, he goes to the girls. He goes, he goes, get your stuff and get out of here. You know, you're both done for the night. You're done. So we get out to the car, and he'd been out in the locker rooms doing maybe some party favors with these girls. And he 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 had on this this pair of uh, big like wide shorts, and he pulls out these money belts. And he he robbed these strippers while we were no. in. And so he's taken all the cash out and my card. I said, let's get the, hell, get the hell out of here. So we left. And I thought to myself, I said, only with the New York badass do you go into a strip club and leave with more money than he came with. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. Man, I don't know, man. Those are working girls, you know. I'm sure they worked and grinded really hard for that money. I, I don't know about all that. Trying to put themselves through school, Dan. Yeah, they're trying to put themselves through school. Uh, they're so, all going to be doctors. Yeah. All, each and every one of them is going to be a doctor. Absolutely. I don't know. I, I tend to support single moms a little bit better than that, but. Yeah. <laughs> Before we uh, get off the subject and talk more about pro wrestling, catch wrestling history, your book with Eric Paulson, why don't we take a mini break when we watch the original call-out you did with John A. Light calling out Gotti Jr. for boxing and Phil Baroni calling out Gotti III to an MMA fight, which if you guys didn't know, he is an MMA fighter with a 5-1 and one amateur record and a 5-1 and one pro record with good hands himself. So him and Brony throwing heavy hands would be a super uh, interesting match. And we're going to take a three-minute break right now as you guys watch 
the original call out. Here we go. YouTube and they see his podcast and his other things. The man on the left, of course, is no stranger to my audience. He's Mr. Matthew Granahan, a.k.a. the King of Connecticut. I like to say he's all the above. The man does it all. And we're here. And Matthew, can we throw to you? All right, guys. Uh, I'm here for uh, Phil Barone. He asked me to come here to this event. He's wrestling tonight in that ring. And I'm going to walk him out with uh, Mr. A-Light. And I'm going to do his promo. But I'm also here for another reason. There's a fighter, an MMA fighter, that some of you may not have heard about, but you should have heard about. John Gotti III. That's the grandson of the Teflon Don. And everybody knows his history. Most people know his son's history, Junior's history with this man. What they don't know is the New York badass Phil Baroni's history with Mr. A-Light and with the Gotti family. And what I'd like to do at this time is I'd like Mr. A-Light to tell you all about that history and I want to issue a challenge on behalf of Phil Baroni. He's been asking me for the last two years to get him a fight with Gotti III. We've been chasing Derek Panza. They said they wanted no part of it. With the story you're about to hear from Mr. A-Light, this is a money fight. This is a fight that has to happen. So without further ado, John, talk a little bit about the history of Phil Baroni. Some of the people that don't know, Phil Baroni got nicknamed the badass in New York. So if you don't know who Phil was, he was raised since he's a kid uh, up the block from me. Uh, his father was involved with me. And Phil, as a young guy, was a tough, scrappy kid. At about 16 years old, for the people that don't know, he lived with me. And uh, Phil got involved in some criminal activity with me, the organization, the Gambino family. So when people call him and say he's the badass or what, well, he's a badass for a lot of things. He got involved in scores with me, he got involved in robberies with me as a young man. Uh, he's a real deal guy. Everybody knows that from the UFC. He's out there, he's popular, he's famous. And uh, we're gonna let the rest of the world judge for themselves. So we're gonna see John Gotti, his father, senior. I'm challenging him to get in a boxing ring with me. I want him to get in the ring. And on that same card, I want Phil Baroni to take it to John Gotti's son. As said, we'll see, we'll stop the talking and we'll see what goes on in the ring. I said, that's what this is about, right? We'll see what everything goes on inside that ring back there. And we'll see who's talking and who's just, and who's doing what they say they're gonna do. So let them come in, let them fight us. Let's take it where it belongs, inside the ring. I got my trainer here with me tonight, Denny Brown. Denny hands a lot of fighters, it's going to be handled. So there we go, guys. Um, John A. Light, who's known for, uh, you know, batting a lot of guys and, you know, even worse to a lot of guys. Um, but he's got his deal and now he's got his podcast is successful and he's calling out Gotti Jr., to box him, we got Phil Baroni, New York badass, calling out Gotti the third. 
He's kind of a badass himself. Both these guys got heavy hands, and that will be a super interesting. I don't know if we're going to do uh, some kind of celebrity boxing MMA card. Maybe we'll get it done. Matthew, maybe we can get it done together. Maybe we can promote it. Maybe myself, guys, on Viking Samurai's channel. I, uh, I kind of give an interesting call out. Probably probably air this upcoming Tuesday. It'll be a fun video on Viking Samurai's channel. AJ calling out Michael Jai White. Maybe we'll get some guys that are wanting to box, kickbox, MMA, and pull a little celebrity thing together. Whether we get people produce it promoting it themselves uh what do you think i think it could happen where we could get some interesting people on an interesting card definitely and i loved your name that you came up with for it uh, but i'm going to tell you this the ball is in the Gotti's court the ball is in the Gotti's court um and that's all i'm going to say on that Mob Ring Wars. So maybe we do it ourselves. Maybe we get Triller involved. Maybe Scott Coker from Bellator gets involved. I don't know. I'm saying mix if some of these, uh, uh, not only these names, but maybe some of the movie. I think it would be uh, an interesting thing. Maybe we can make it happen. So I guess the ball's in the daddy's courts, you know, and they might want, you know, it seems, I mean, the guy's got, you know, something big like this for, for, Phil Brady Jr. will consider that. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he's totally in it. This backstory is incredible. We have clips from the news. We have we have newspaper articles from New York Post. We got such a great history behind this thing with Gotti and Baroni and their families and the Gambino crime family. We could make this huge. But, again, I don't want to waste my breath because the ball is in the Gotti's court here, man. The ball is in their court. Yeah. You want to talk about uh, – you want to talk about some catch wrestling stuff? Because I know uh, Dan Young, I want to give a shout out to. He has a catch wrestling organization. In yeah, Canada, and he contacted me about this show. Yeah, we're going there next. But but I want to be fair. So if either, either of the response uh, video, I'll put on my channel. I mean, to be a response. Sure. Yeah, you know, we're waiting on your response. And before we get off the subject of the mob, again, guys, in the description below, I'm loving the book, Larry Mazza's book. He will hand autograph it. The link to his book uh, below, he sends it out himself, autographs it himself. Uh, you know, it's super interesting, and I'm not even fully into uh, – also, guys, you know – Maybe these guys are going to produce me in my own out for justice type of movie. Matthew, play. Because, I mean, look at the guy. We got to get else. 
Let's do it. Let's do it, baby. I'm all in. I'm, you know, Nick, Nick, the legend. I can really do. Yeah, thing happened. And so now, yeah, I, I think, I think, I think we both are talk a little bit about catch wrestling history and the book you're um i don't know if you can hear me but let's get into some of the catch wrestling history okay cool well let me let me talk about the book and i'll tie it in with catch wrestling history and how the book came about so um i hadn't even heard of what catch wrestling was before um i was a uh, God, I don't even know how old I was. It was probably 15 years ago, uh, right around 15 years ago. I was in um, uh, North Asheville, North Carolina area. And at the time, I was traveling throughout the southeast because uh, I was with the brewing companies back then. And um, I had always wrestled, um, but I never knew what catch wrestling was. Um, we, me and my buddies used to have friends, uh, used to have fun. Um, in college in the summers and after college uh, doing judo too. But that was, uh, that's a different story. It kind of all ties together with pro wrestling and all that and how I started doing pro wrestling. But the catch wrestling side was um, I, I, I went to this, this club because I was, because I was doing judo and grappling and, and wrestling. And um, it was at the, Art in North Carolina, it was the Barbell Club, some Barbell Club place. But it was this older gentleman, um, Billy Wicks, who had the club with um, some local guys. And some of these guys fought on local shows uh, back then. And it was like a $5 mat fee. So I go in there a couple times um, when I'm in Asheville. Because I was in Asheville about once a month. And I went in there um, one day, and Billy Wicks was an older man. They had a lot of these pictures up of old like carnival stuff and I was kind of checking it out. And then one day I was with one of his, his, you know, just going with one of his wrestlers. I remember it was a stockier Mexican guy and I was riding this kid and I was always kind of a dirty wrestler. I never considered myself to be, you know, a great wrestler, but in high school it's good. I was a fast pinner. Uh, I had a consecutive pin record at one point, um, and and I was just a dirty, you know, dirty kind of wrestler. And I was riding this kid, and he loved how I was I was riding this kid, and he loved particularly how I was just doing, you know, stuff, dirty stuff, like how I was knuckling him, and I was using my head and stuff like that. And so the guy, the older gentleman, comes to me after, and he's like, he said, he says, you know, kid, where did you learn that stuff? And I said, just from wrestling, you know. I said, you know, I wrestled. Uh, but, you know, at this point in my life, I don't really take it seriously. It's just something fun to do. And he's and he became like good friends with me. He goes, man, that was like carny stuff. So I didn't know what he was talking about. But we we developed a close friendship until his death. You know, I consider him to be um, like almost like a second father to me. It's one of the only people I talk to about personal stuff. Mm -hmm. I never really talk about personal issues, personal stuff. But he was a great man. But he had wrestled in the carnies. And his name was uh, Billy Wicks. I want to make sure I mention it. But um, I kind of like, like kind of forgot about that. And then I went out, but I still, I was still staying in touch with them. But I went out to California and um, I don't know what year it was. 
it must have been 2008 maybe maybe no maybe 2007 or 2008 i had to go out to california um because my national sales manager guy was out there in orange county and um i i wanted to go to eric's school eric paulson's school so i was out there for a while i don't want to explain the whole situation but it was something some stuff that was going on with our company at the time before i got put on my severance that i had to be out in california for for several months but i would always go to csw with Eric and train there, but Eric and I kind of became friends. We used to start, we used to go out to this barbecue place that he used to like to have beers and barbecue at. And we started talking out there. And when I want to mention too, the guy who, who put me in touch with Eric originally is a guy that I still uh, know is very involved with the catch wrestling stuff is Jake Shannon. He was the one who, and he's involved with like catch wrestling. Uh, I don't really follow the catch wrestling stuff now, but he was the guy who who gave me, you know, put me in touch with Eric to go train there. So uh, I had a good time training there. You know, Eric liked my my, you know, liked me, and uh, we started hanging out drinking, and we came up with the idea of this book because we, you have to understand like Eric's history, and and I don't want to get too deep into it, but it ties in with Shuto and the catch wrestling stuff. And when he was so intrigued talking about Billy Wicks. And there was also another guy um, from Billy Wicks's uh, group in school, another fighter, Matt. And I knew used to know his name, but it's been so many years. I used to know him. I can't remember his name. Who had been out there and trained with Eric, and Eric cornered one of his fights. But Eric was really into the into the whole history, and that was how I. To make like a long story short, I got put on a severance at that time because what was going on with my company in California. So I basically got like pay for a year and medical to do nothing with the severance and with what was going on with the company at the time. So when that happened, it gave me the time to work with Eric on this book we did called Rough and Tumble. And um, it's a catch wrestling history book. I got to meet so many awesome people in doing this book um, because I was free to, to, to travel and train at different places. He had me stay at Gene LaBelle's house, and Gene LaBelle did one of the forwards along with Billy Wicks. I got to meet him in GoCor and go to their school. I got to meet Marty Morgan, who was from University of Minnesota. His father was Jim Morgan, who was an old carny. I got to meet Red Bastine in Dallas, Texas, and go hang out with him. He had been wrestled in the carnies. I got to meet Frankie Kane, who also became a good friend of mine. And um, it was an old, old catch wrestler. So I learned all this history and, and I did this doing this book and it was so much fun. You know, I had a great time doing it. And Eric is such a great guy, man. Uh, so, and Tanya, his wife as well. I used to keep in touch with Eric all the time. I say, I just talked to him uh, a few days ago, you know, on the, on the messenger, but he's a great guy and I wish him all the luck in the world. CSW was a great school. Rough and Tumble is the book, but it's not just a catch wrestling book. We covered it. We covered Eric wanted Eric kind of directed me. He's kind of, Eric was kind of the director. I wrote pretty much the entire book. We had this other guy, JD, that was a kickboxer that was working with us. But JD, he said he was he was a political writer. He was a nice guy, but he didn't write anything. I mean, JD probably wrote five sentences. I wrote pretty much the whole thing, direct it under Eric's direction. But JD did help us in getting the book out there and getting it self-published because you knew some people down in Florida. But it was an amazing experience for me. Um, I loved it. 
Uh, I got to learn so much about the history of grappling, history of American catch wrestling, and how it's tied in with pro wrestling, which so many people don't know. Uh, we, we covered Pancras. We covered Shuto, Eric's own history. It was, it was such an amazing book. And you can still buy it. It still sells. It's called Rough and Tumble, the history of American submission wrestling. It feels like so long ago because I wrote it. I think I was done writing it in 2009. It took us about a year to write it, and it came out like late 2009 or 2010. So it's been a number of a number of years, but it still sells. So um, we the way that we structured it, I thought was amazing. Eric helped me in that in that aspect of it. And Where can Eric, guys buy it nowadays? Where can guys uh, get the book? Rough and tumble. You can go to um, E R I K. P A U L S O N dot com, Eric Paulson dot com, okay. which is Eric's, uh, Eric's website. And he has a guy there named Bob Berge who, who, who um, manages and he gets a, the books clean out to people. We, I mean, I'm telling you, this book, this book, it within the catch wrestling community, everybody still, you know, still talks about this book. Um, but it's one of those things. Kamal Shalarus helped me to promote it. Phil Baroni, you know, um, actually was really good in helping me to promote it at some. Uh, we did a couple fan fests where we sold it. Mm-hmm. But Eric is the main driver because, mm-hmm. and I'll say this too, but I want to say this about Eric Paulson. Anyone I've met from MMA, Eric Paulson has has got the he's got the business down as far as doing clinics and doing seminars. I've run seminars with with number of folks over the years. Yeah. I've done a lot with Dan. Dan's a great guy, Dan Severn. A lot, a lot of stuff with Kamal, and I used to do them all the time in Texas and up in Virginia. But Dan, but Eric Paulson, Eric Paulson is so smooth that, and, and I think he's probably still like this, but he used to be. Corona might have changed it. That if he looks in his calendar six months from now, he can tell you where he's going to be that weekend six months from now. He books his seminars out yeah. that far in advance. And, and and I'll tell you, I love Eric as, as a, a coach, too, on the mat. He's a great, great coach. Uh, I'm not really into so much the striking stuff, but he's a great grappling coach and a great guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and I, I want to say a couple things just clear up on my background, guys. I trained with Eric a couple times back in 98, 99 at seminars. Uh, one with the girl, Dan and Asano, uh, like a hockey rink. Uh, me and George both got some pictures back in those days. And once at the JKD school, I was going. And actually, George, we, we didn't even get the funny story of him rolling on the match with UFC fighter Noe Hernandez. That was Chuck Liddell's first fight in the UFC. And they started going hard all into each other. And I later trained with Noe as well and George, obviously. Um at Eric's seminar and peeing Eric off and everything. So I've known Eric a long, long time. Uh, when I was going to JKD schools in the 90s, those were officially under – the Shudo classes were officially under Yuri Nakamura and Eric Paulson. So I didn't train every day with Eric Paulson. But, yes, I trained in the Shudo system under Eric Paulson. Besides that, I was training with Dan Severin regularly for over two years and, and plus – uh, and my catch background, I'm go- training with pancreas fighters, shooto number one contender that fought Gomi, um, all kinds of different shooto and pancreas fighters back in the day. So my catch background through that um, to pride tryouts and then earning the fight after fighting for one hour, uh, Sakuraba's prodigy Sato in front of Sakuraba 
the, the Pride President Takata, so I trained in Sakuraba for a couple weeks. My year and a half training in Japan, my black belt under Goku Shivichin and Jean LaBelle, and of course, that's legit catch lineage under Jean LaBelle, who goes back to Luthez, Vic Christie, at the Strangler Lewis. You know, so if you look, guys, I was more known. I used to be named a couple weeks ago as Catch Jitsu. Look at my 10 narrated uh, crazy, I just renamed Crazy Catch Wrestling submissions, where submissions, Crazy Catch Wrestling submissions, 10 narrated as I traveled around the world and I'm stretching all these pro MMA fighters with all these catch wrestling locks, submission holds uh, that people think doesn't work on anyone good well I made them work on everyone good around the world so just know that that's my history and even when I was at the pride tryouts 2005 2006 maybe 2005 I think Eric was there he just opened a school invited me down so I'm like yeah but I'm in Iowa no fighting system um, but you know I mean Eric and Eric's always been okay to me he put my double wrist lock video on his Facebook page a few years back praising it so I think I'm okay with Eric and Eric, you have an invite to come on my podcast some Sunday uh, as well. So there you go. I'll tell you one cool thing is that one really cool thing as a wrestler was I got to go on um, I because of this book, I got to go on Dan Gable's podcast years ago with Eric. That was awesome out of Iowa. Uh, great experience. So yeah. many great experiences from this book. And I just kind of want to tell people, you know, I know it's an older book, but you got to remember, it's a history book, so it's not really dated. Even though it's it was written 13, 14 years ago, yeah. it's not dated in that sense. And you can still buy the book, you know, if you don't if you don't have it. You know, I, I one thing I want to do, Dan, man, I'm telling you, because so many years ago and so many cool stories and stuff in there, I want to go back and read that book this summer. You know, I want to go back myself and and read it. But I, Bob Burby sent me a copy because I actually didn't have a copy of it. Um, and he sent me a copy of it and I want to go back and I actually want to read it. And I want to get you a copy too. I want to sign a copy. Yeah. For you. Yeah. You know, Bob and it. Eric, give me a copy signed and send it out to me. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, man. So um, and yeah, I'll, review, you know, I'll review it. I'll review it on my channel. I mean, one of these days I'll go on my back porch and talk about some of the books I've been reading. Colin Powell, Larry Maza's book when I get through that. And then hopefully I can get that sent out. And another guy who wrote a, a, a couple books on, on on boxers and catch wrestling and stuff. He wants to send me a, a couple books out to review. So, um, you know, maybe I'll do a book review, a uh, YouTube video someday about all the different books. So, um, you know, that's great. Do, do you got anything you want to say about Gene LaBelle? Yeah, man, I had a great, a great experience um, with Gene. Uh, we, we went to, um, I got a chance to stay over at his house and his wife and, and Eric set it all up for me. His wife, I think her name was Midgey. We sat in the room and we watched um, his, his fight against um, Savage, Milo Savage. Yeah. Together. We sat and watched that together. And um, what a cool dude, man. I mean, I got a chance to go. It was a Monday night. Um, I got a chance to go to his, his class. And then I, he introduced me to go court and um, I sent some guys because because um, there was a point when I it was when I was at Capo I was a uh, I was coaching at this place Capo MMA uh, Richie Giametta from Jersey had that he, he he left me when I was at the tail end of my severance and I actually uh, sent a couple guys to Gokor 
a couple of our fighters to Gokor to stay out there. And, and I want to say Gene and Gokor both, man, great guys. Gene LaBelle, too, like stayed in touch with me for a long time, like after that. And the man has got so much information. Um, you can, you can, you know, pick his brain, pro wrestling, just like Billy Wicks. You know, they, they've got so much history, so much information. And I love, you know, talking with these guys that are fountains of, of information. They can just tell these, tell these also great stories um, that, that, uh, that Gene has. And that I want to say RIP to, to Billy Wicks. And uh, I don't know some of these guys like Frankie Kane. I don't know if he's still alive, uh, but I had an amazing time with um, over there and, and met so many great people doing that, doing that book. It was a great project. And, uh, and I want to thank them, uh, them all for it. And I want to wish the best of luck uh, to um, to Eric, you know, moving forward. I know I don't want to mention names, but I know he got he got some of the negativity out of his gym that he used to have when I was there. And uh, things are going forward with it at CSW. Yeah, some people are just bullies and negative, negative people that just like anyone that is even halfway close, they feel threatened by. And they just have to bully everyone with their size and bravado and uh, make scenes and just be a person that hurts other people and, and stuff like that. It's unfortunate that there's people like that in the, in the world uh, and in the, in the world of catch wrestling. But um, anyway, uh, it, it's great. I want to get the book. Um, and yeah, I mean, guys, you know, realize that I spent, Right, 24 years grappling now, plus a couple years earlier with some judo and, you know, black belt in jiu-jitsu, black belt in Gokar and Gene LaBelle, and that's an honor. Um, I, I do have interviews, uh, guys, on my channel. Look up, uh, I don't know, Dan the Wolfman interviews Gene LaBelle. It's like a two or three part. I saw uh, that. It was originally on a different uh, site I was working for, Pro MMA, but I have it on my site as my YouTube channel as well. But uh, awfully good interviews with judo Gene LaBelle. I think you guys will enjoy it. And, you know, catch wrestling to me is about riding and understanding biomechanics. So heavy riding, submissions from any position, uh, really understanding the biomechanics, how to stretch people and break joints. And I do back locks and hip locks and, and neck locks that other people simply don't know. You know, even to this day when everything's being called jujitsu, you know, uh, you know, we, I always like locks and everyone back in the day and so hopefully you enjoy look at my playlist guys on my youtube channel and look at my 10 crazy uh rare submissions narrated videos a lot of the people in there are pro fighters good judo guys and, and wrestlers and jiu-jitsu guys uh you'll learn a lot and and i i did that and i narrated around the world when i was just a brown belt in both styles um to be able to have it's not so much being bragging. It's so there's a historical reference of these these holds that have been lost, and so you can see me doing it against good guys, and not believe the bad mouthers. Oh, that would never work on anyone good. Well, I got says beat them with what beat them with what they don't know, kid. And um, you know, I, I made it kind of as a historical reference, and you know, I got 45 one-hour videos compilations on each position in grappling or on each topic like leg locks or takedowns and you know, my body's beat up on my back, my knees, my neck are all jacked, but you know, it's a historical reference and I wish more people would uh, use it as such. Cause 
all that knowledge Gene and Gokor put into me and my years of grappling and training in Japan year and a half and all the pancreas and shooto fighters coming up a bit in the shooto system uh, and all that, you know, uh, you know, and then commentating pancreas 270 to 276 on, on fight pass guys, you know, I got that real background that other people want to downplay and badmouth because, you know, uh, the people that they are. Anybody who, who, who badmouths someone else, it's because there's a deficit in themselves. I mean, I, I, I always say what other people think of me is none of my business, you know, because yeah. I, I never have time for I, one thing that I can't, you know, and I don't want to say it's like the wrong way, but when I moved down south, uh, down, down in Florida now and in South Carolina to South Carolina more. Um, people are are very like it, it's so strange to me because I grew up right outside of New York City, Long Island Sam. People are so into your business, and I always say, man, that's why what I, t- what I tell my daughter, man, do your thing. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Uh, and it's always the people who aren't doing anything that look yeah. back about you know what other people are doing. But I got so many so many more funny stories. To tell, I want everybody to check out that book. Um, but I see, I see the time clicking, and I want to tell a funny story that just came up yesterday. Okay. I want to mention I have a lot of commentaries on uh, the Hannibal TV, which is Canada's top combat sports podcast. Uh, he, he has me as a personality on there, and there, and and I always do these. These are short kind of commentaries. I always say impactful, open, substantive, center and compelling clothes for everybody and they're quick um they're quick kind of just commentaries and and i read and he wants me to do this one about dan but i'm going to give you the exclusive first about dan the beast Severn, who i'm okay. sure you all know uh so uh don fry did this um did this interview with hannibal um yesterday where he was talking about uh drinking with road warrior hawk and in the video hannibal says oh I won't ask this any this question to Dan Severn because I know he doesn't drink, right? So I said to I, I said, look, uh, Hannibal, Dan Severn. That's not true. Dan Severn does drink. As a matter of fact, I was hosting these uh, Feast with the Beasts years ago with Dan, which were like comedy, you know, storytelling things at bars. We had one at Flying Saucer, and I had. The brewery, Aviator Brewery, make a beer for Dan. It was called October Beast instead of Oktoberfest. Yeah. And the owner of the brewery, the owner of the Aviator was there with me. Keep in mind, we distributed their beers at this time. And Dan comes up to the bar, you know, and uh, uh, the owner says, we're going to get around for everybody of October Beast. This is your beer, Dan. This is your beer. And Dan kind of sniffs it, picks it up, he takes one sip, and he goes, oh, <laughs> "Not for me, guys. I'm gonna stick with my. I'm gonna stick with my usual. I'd love a chilled glass of rosé, young lady, with just a splash of Diet Seven Up." And that drink became known throughout the Columbia, South Carolina area as the Dan Severn. Uh, the, the least manly drink ever, but Dan is is a manly man. Uh, the uh, the chilled rosé, and when I was roasting, I wonder Dan, what, 
I had a I had a lot of fun uh, roasting uh, Dan. They, the the radio station in Greenville, South Carolina, put this roast together. This guy, a great guy actually, named uh, who's who's a good grappler too, named Jeff um, Lewis Neal. He was a two time state champion in South Carolina. Wrestled um, with uh, my buddy Steve Alponi at Anderson College. They were actually roommates in South Carolina. Not a D one wrestler, but a really good good wrestler. Did a little little MMA himself. But he's the morning show host for this radio station in Greenville. And um, we had Dan there uh, doing seminars, and he says, I'm putting a roast together for, for Dan Severn. He goes, I need you to be the first roaster. So you can actually watch that roast on the Hannibal TV too, King of Connecticut. Right. Dan Severn. I wonder, I, wonder, I wonder if Dan picked up that drink from his lookalike, Freddie Mercury. Yeah, from Freddie. <laughs> he probably got that from Freddie. I wonder if that was one of Freddie's uh, – you know, thing, uh, you know, another beast bites the dust or something. You know what? Uh, you of know course, what guys, my first famous coach was Dan Severn, and I drove out two hours each way to Coldwater, Michigan, twice a week to train with Dan for a couple, two and a half hours, spend the night on his couch, answer his emails for him, work for him a little bit, train with him the next day in the barn. And that's how I, you know, while I was also doing jiu-jitsu on the other side of the state. So, you know, my combat wrestling, all that. And, and and the Greco skills I got that goes to Dan Severn, three-time Olympic alternate, you know, eighty international national titles, uh, you know, and to understand catch, you got to understand wrestling. No, so you're like, oh, this is catch that or is catching. Just learning a hold doesn't make you a catch wrestler uh, either. You got to learn how to wrestle in a position and control not only your body but the body of the other guy and wrestle him, make him move into this mission, into the catch. And, and so that was, you know, kind of a staple of my style, catch jitsu. Um, and so, yeah, that's a pretty, yeah. Dan, Dan can be a little dainty at times. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. He, um, so, so I want to. And Dan, you you're welcome to come on my podcast too. We haven't talked in about six months, probably eight months, as the world fell apart and went in a C 1984. Yeah. So it's been a while. Uh, and and the beast maybe. Maybe we'll get you on uh, someday, you know, if you want to come on. Dan was very vocal about that um, too. He he hated everything being shut down, and um, I I got I got a segue. This is a good segue into pro wrestling because it's uh, I want to. I want to know how many pro wrestling matches you've had yourself as well, not just oh, the guys you manage. Yeah, when I when I started pro wrestling, but but I wanted to segue with Dan to pro wrestling, but I'll tell the story first. When I, I was talking about like when we were college and we used to go to Akari Judo and that was back when you could do leg attacks still in Judo. This was way back in the 90s. And one of my buddies, Dave, was going to um, the school from uh, uh, Killer Kowalski it was up in Massachusetts or something and um, for pro wrestling. But he wanted me to be his opponent. That's how I got into pro wrestling back in the 90s. And that was before all the Internet stuff. We basically came up with almost the same match. Um, that we did every time. He had wrestled for a rival school for New Fairfield, and he was good. Um, and a lot of, uh, and, and I did, and I, and I always loved to bring guys in to pro wrestling. Um, I loved. I had a great opportunity to wrestle Stephen Bonner and that Mick Tag recently, uh, and uh, Steve Alponi, another guy that I brought in from Anderson College to wrestle me in pro wrestling. And the guy that I also the guy that was it was did it under a mask was TJ, TJ Jaworski, who anybody who knows, probably a lot of people don't know who he is, but he's from University of North Carolina, considered really to be one of the greatest 
wrestlers ever from UNC. He's a little guy though. He only he only weighs about a buck forty soaking wet. So um, we had a great match, and 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 this is like kind of the segue into the pro wrestling with the Dan Severn story. But um, it's so it's so not. I don't want to use the word easy, but it's so smooth to bring guys in to pro wrestling from the from the wrestling mat because like with TJ, he was he could get behind me so quick. And I could just, I could just hook his arm, you know, whip him over. I could send you guys the match, and he could pop right up, you know, do a kip up, yeah. and then, and then hop up and and hook me with a headlock. He was, you know, TJ's was a phenomenal wrestler. Hold that headlock as long as he could, keep his hips back, and I just, and I just get his. And it took me a long time to get his leg. So, so that was a good match. You know, same thing with Bonner. You know, Bonner coming from MMA and grappling. That's the best guys to bring into to pro wrestling. And of course, Dan Severn's had so many great matches, but I've had a lot of matches over the years going back to the nineties. Um, but some of my favorite matches, one of my favorite matches, and I'd say probably my favorite match Dan was involved in. And I want to thank him for that. Um, uh, my old high school, uh, Norwalk high school, uh, my old coach, uh, Chuck Anderson is, is good friends with Joe Fernandez, who's the coach there now. And they had me come back to headline a show for um, a fundraiser for the mats. And Dan was so cool because I always joke about Dan. You know, the only time we were on this, the, the same show together, I was in the main event. You were in the undercard because it was, it was my, you know, return to, to my, my high school. But it was, it was fun, man. It was like an Al Bundy moment for me, you know, to go back to the school <laughs> I had to wrestle that and, and, and have this pro match. And Dan and I got to do a clinic for Job, for the kids, um, you know, for the, I say kid, the high school uh, wrestlers and some of the kids from neighboring schools came and I got to bust the cauliflower over Chase Brown's head. But the story Chase, I always believe in bringing realism into the stories with pro wrestling, like real stories. The, the story that Chase told was true um, about me getting kicked out of the bar and it's a whole you can watch it. And he did this no easy way out thing. And it's true because Dan Severn was there. It was in South Carolina and it was after a clinic and cauliflower, as he calls himself, Chase Brown um, was there with us. And that's why I wanted cauliflower to be my opponent, because I said, look, Dan's going up. Tell this story and we'll have a great match. And that was 2017. That was so awesome. I hadn't been back to my hometown in over 10 years. You know, I moved out of that town. Um, when I was when I was right after senior in high school, so it was. But I saw so many great friends there. Norwalk, Connecticut, such a great town. I mentioned the story about the club, you know, that I I managed for a bit there, and, and it was always there was always some. It's a tough town. There's always some of that that uh, that stuff going on too. But man, that was so much fun, and such a good time. But all my pro wrestling, I always try to bring reality in, and I'll tell a funny pro wrestling. MMA crossover story. So there is this guy uh, named Adam Newsom. Uh, he's from Kentucky. He was an he was an amateur MMA fighter, but he was a stud. Like he was three and zero, and he had squashed all his opponents. And he he told me when we were in um, Shattuck MMA that he wanted to get into pro wrestling. Right. So I said, look, we're gonna work a story, and we're not gonna tell anybody because I want the guys here to think this is real. And I say the guys here, the guys that are training at Shattuck, even, even John Shattuck himself thought it was real. And what we did is I said, look, we're going to get 
into a legitimate fight and I want, but it's not going to be legitimate. And I want everyone to think that I screwed your girlfriend and we did this thing and he got into it. So he, this was his segue into pro wrestling. We had everybody in the gym believing it. And then I wrestled him in his hometown and he, I had so much heat going into it. Probably John Shattuck and some of the guys that were there, pro- if they watch this, this will be the first time that they that that they actually think that this is that this was a work. So I believe in, in the problem in pro wrestling now is they don't do that. You got to have fun with it, and you got to have some realism, and you got to work people. You can't like I, I can't stand these guys now. Like WWE, they talk to each other on social media. You know, with, with, with Bonner, when I did my match with Bonner, we had that whole thing with Summer Steel. Um, by the pool that we worked and we put that up on Hannibal and it was getting, it got like, they got like 50 Hannibal said that that was the most his Instagram views his Instagram ever had people. If they thought they would think, why is there a camera there taping this? But you got to get people into it, you know, into the, Uh, yeah, I know for sure. Um, if, if, if guys want to get matches with Brony, or Bonner or Severin, they can also kind of reach out to you yourself. Yeah, maybe even me, maybe even me, you know. Yeah. I, would, I always had hoped I'd get on a New Year's Eve uh, Japan card against somebody Definitely. someday. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, had, I've had three wrestle, I've had three matches in Japan. The last one, the tag match, uh, was at the beginning of it. You can also see my first match uh, uh, worked MMA. I mean, they knew it was a demo match versus Aoki, who unfortunately got in a motorcycle wreck and passed away. And my second match, I choreographed with Kei Yamamiya. I think you guys should watch that. I think it was fun. And you got to have real mat skills. And these guys just don't have the real wrestling skills or catch skills or mat skills like they used to. I mean, you got to have the showmanship too. So I appreciate, you know, all the great pro wrestlers. You got to have the mic skills and all that. Um, But it's a fun world. Uh, for sure. Um, yeah, I think we're uh, yeah. up to one thing. Let's, I love let's start, and, let's start uh, wrapping things you. up and, and yeah. start wrapping things up and then we'll go to some questions. So if there's any, another five minutes, any thing you really want to get out there, take the time to get out there and then let's go to our questions. Oh, I was just going to say, I always love being a heel and um, like when I went with the thing with Adam Newsom, he was from the country. So, I, it was it was a Christmas show, so I brought all my gifts to save the youth, and uh, it was a foreign object, the toothbrush, uh, and I've used that gimmick a lot. I love being a heel, and I love it. You, you know, you got to have color, you got to be exciting. But you're right, and the thing Billy Wicks always told me was, you tell those people there is nothing I am doing to my opponent in that ring that I couldn't do to every one of you fat slobs that's paying to see me. And it's legit. And it, yeah. to, to sell it, it has to be legit, too. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, I, c- I could stretch any of these any of these WWE guys or Taz, you little bitch. You want to talk crap on me when I was in the ring the first time I was ever on TV, WWE Tough Enough, WWF Tough Enough, the tryouts they invited me to. I was on TV for two months leading into that. And, uh, I mean, they showed clips of my audition tape. Uh, part of which George uh, George filmed, by the way, guys, and kicking and everything in the ring, and then, you know, you know, if any of them want to get stretched, uh, 
I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to stretch them. Yeah. You know? Dan, 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 that leads me to a good story. And, I, and I've told the story before on other shows. And it's one of the reasons I bring opponents in and mention guys like with Dan Severn and, and Steve Walpone and, and Adam Newsom, uh, TJ Jaworski, uh, Shane Leaf wrestled at the Citadel. I bring those guys in because I, I had an incident with this kid. And it's APW where I always was wrestling Saturday nights, uh, where this kid wanted to do all these these crazy flip moves. I said, "No, nah, we're not going to do that." Whatever. So we get into the match, and uh, he's lost. You know, so I pretty much like I, I just used him as kind of a rag doll, but I didn't hurt him. You know, um, when we get back to the locker room, uh, Chuck Sloan, who was a good good amateur wrestler too, who was on the show, he goes. He goes, this little uh, P is, is crying. Um, and he literally was crying. Um, so you got to be careful sometimes with some of the, the you know, the, the, the so-called pro wrestlers, you know, that are out there at these, at these shows. And he told everybody that I told everybody that I shot on him. I said, if I shot on you, you'd be in the hospital. Said, you know, you just couldn't yeah. wrestle. You, you know, you just you're getting a deer in the head. And if he, the kid had been nice about it, would have calmed down. But he went crying to the promoter. It can't be, a, it can't be a crybaby. There's no crying in wrestling. Yeah, isn't it interesting that even in pro wrestling, where you think a guy's supposed to be tough, that nowadays society, as we kind of hinted at earlier, is getting so watered down, and the yeah. attack on manliness, and oh, yeah. you know, probably some of that is genetic engineering, the water, the food. Uh, oh, no more eating cows. We've got to do fake meat now that's full of estrogen, like three days worth in one Burger King fake burger, uh, you know, the uh, fake meat and all that, guys. That's all by design, and it's just interesting that even a pro wrestling tough guy isn't so so tough, and you weren't stretching him. You were just being a little, little bit stiff to the kid. Yeah, just okay. position him. And that, that's the way I like to have a match is where you go in – um, like you shoot behind me, but you leave you leave each other openings. So you're wrestling um, in, you know. And that's, yeah, you get pressure, but you give the opening to counter it or yeah, exactly. your elbow, or do your switch or whatever. Exactly. Um, and maybe that's a world I should be more involved in. And it's interesting that I tried out for Tough Enough in 2000, my first time on TV. You should wrestle Bond. I could. I, I would be. Ha I would be happy to do a match with. That would be a Connor. good one. That would be a good one. Now, how about how close are you? You're you're going to be in. Um, you're going to be in Tennessee, because um, I could try to. You know, Bonner would get in some matches in Texas with world. Class. Yeah, I'm probably. I'm probably. Yeah, um, you know, and it'd be interesting. Oh man, is Bonner's, hey, is Bonner still in contact with Forrest Griffin? Are they still oh, yeah, friendly? Yeah, they're they're friends. Uh, I actually had Forrest. On um, I actually had Forrest on Hannibal's show. Uh, that's been two years ago. That uh, and and he did a a thing at the training center in Vegas with Forrest. And then Forrest called me. Uh, Bonner had him call me because they were trying to get in touch with Baroni for a um, uh, a documentary they were doing on Evan Tanner I, uh, that the UFC officially was doing on Evan Tanner. Oh. I don't know if that ever happened or not. I saw the documentary Steve Nelson sent me. Steve Nelson was on my show. Yeah. I don't know if you remember his promotion in Texas. He had a cool promotion. Yes, in Texas. USWF. Yeah. Uh, and he sent me a documentary he had done. It was old on school, Pancrase Rules, Real Catch Wrestling, yeah. legit. I used to sell his VHS tapes out of my 
my NHB uh, newsletter I, I had back in the day, my 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 own self-produced newsletter I used to send SEG, all the you guys at UFC, and they used guys that recommended like Nori Hernandez and Jeremy Horn. You should have so, Steve Nelson. Yeah, uh, I yes, I mean, he had the – I'd like to get – you know what? If we, we could somehow manage to get Forrest and Bonner on the podcast together and do a three-way yeah. – that would be really interesting since those guys are really what blew up the sport of MMA was their fight because I was literally in a bar and everyone was picking up their phones. Nowadays, no one even pays attention when MMA's on the TV. When I'm in a bar the other night, no one even pays attention. But back then, we all went from M MFS, a big crew of us went to a bar to watch it, the Ultimate Fighter finale. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people literally were picking up their phones went from like 2 million to like 14 million viewers yeah. at its peak or something yeah. crazy because people said, dude, you got to watch this crazy fight. So if we could somehow get, I mean, I've interviewed Forrest years ago for a magazine and I talked to Bonner once on the phone and he actually had my friend, Sam Holger, who's tough three audition tape I filmed, um, yeah. was there. They were shopping in a mall together or something, but if He's I could get them both together, yeah. that would be interesting. It would be interesting. I could maybe do a pro match with with Bonner. That would be pretty interesting. So, one other um, one, Dan. Um, Dan, one other one. Um, I've been yeah. trying to get, um, and anybody that followed my social media probably saw this. I've been trying to get Pat Militich in pro wrestling. We were supposed to do a match, Pat and his broadcast partner Jeffrey Wilson against me and Bonner. Um, and I've been waiting to hear back from those guys. Jeffrey is actually working the logistics of that, but Pat's. It's on Pat's bucket list, man. He wants yeah. to do a match. What about Pat Milicic versus the Wolfman? Oh, I mean, we could work something good for sure. I mean, I, I want it to be like Japanese-style, shoot-style, you know? Because mm -hmm. you got these MMA guys. Why not show them doing a shoot-style match, a hard-style uh, match that, you know, like – like There's one other years. one. There's Dan, there's one other one that uh, I broadcasted – with in Iowa, um, that's trying to get a pro wrestling too. I was trying to get him and Bo him and Baroni together. I just need a promoter. Is Shoney Carter? If you want to do something with Shoney, um, you know he's still in pretty good shape. I love Shoney. I talked to him about a year ago. He had gotten in a bad uh, car accident. And oh, so I don't know. I, 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 I did walk up with him two years ago. I hadn't so. talked to him in years. And we talked to each other like we were still best friends. When yeah. I first fought in Pancrase 2000 versus Yuki Kondo, I was sick. I was sick. I was throwing up. I was no good. Uh, but I, I said, I'm still going to fight. And the, the media loved me. It was media day at the Peas Lab, Pancrase Dojo. And none of the other guys would go with me in front of the media except for Shoney Carter. So I always owe him. He fought earlier in the day. It was a double event. They had a fight during the day in New York Blood Tournament. And then me in the main event versus Yuki Kondo, the Pancreas champion in 2000, uh, which is now on Fight Pass if you want to see me. Uh, exciting fight, but you want to see me get submitted, there you go. It's on uh, UFC Fight Pass. But So I, I love Shoney, and he was working as pimp suits. And me and him, you know, Coleman gives me credit. I had the first nickname, Dan the Wolfman, everyone on the forums. And he, even the day, Chael tries to get to them. They didn't know how to promote promote themselves. Chael didn't know how to promote himself. And now he's like a millionaire. He opened his mouth. You know, he didn't oh, yeah. know how to open his mouth and get on the mic for a long yeah. time. 
and, and guys didn't have the names. And, and so, you know, even still, these MMA fighters, since they're obviously, you know, honestly, you fight cheap isn't promoting them very well. They got to know how to promote themselves in the real MMA world, you know, too. So, yeah, you know, and, and Shoney, didn't Shoney fight Pat? And Shoney's spinning back to, yeah. you know, Carter. Like, yeah. it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So maybe we can get something going. All right, man. Yeah. I, I think we've been talking a long time. I'm about ready to get to some questions. I think people should buy your book. People should watch your interview with Larry Mazza. Buy his book in the description. Um, you know, go to Eric Paulson's site, buy a rough and tumble book. Try and see if Bougie and Eric will uh, send me a copy. Uh, and Eric, you know, if you want to come in and talk catch wrestling and submission holds and overall grappling with me, I, I think that would be great. So let's go to our questions, guys. If you've got any more, write it down there now. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Let me get a sip of water. I just can't talk anymore, guys. Two hours of thought. Yeah. All right. White Space Marines. Says he knows someone who is a YouTube known guy told me that the Boston Crab is a silly move. But he thinks it's useful. What do me and you think about the Boston Crab? I tell you, I tell you, um, there's a video on uh, – there's a video on YouTube from a seminar that um, uh, Kamal Shalrus and I did in South Carolina. I'm sure it's still on there somewhere. There's so many videos. But Kamal shows uh, something similar, um, which is like a – but he does it more – he does it with one leg. It's like a half Boston Crab, and it's uh, the way he sets it up is pretty cool. I, I can't remember yeah. it. It was so many freaking years ago. But uh, uh, it was uh, – it was us on the mat, and it was him. Did he did it on some kid? It was actually Newberry College when we that that we did that seminar at, at their wrestling room many years ago. Uh, you could probably find it uh, on uh, uh, YouTube somewhere. So yeah, I don't think the, uh, that's kind of my answer. Yeah, yeah. I think me and you are the same. Yeah, the full one's not quite as practical as the half crab. Not yeah. against anyone good. Not against anyone. The same size. Having said that, at lower level in an Indian event, I have a video of a Boston crab used live in an Indian MMA event. So you might want to find that on my Boston crab used in MMA event. And I know there was another one, and that looked like the guy was a fish too. So if you're beating on some fish, yeah, can you pull off a Boston crab? Yeah. Uh, you know, I did it. It'll so, hurt so, if you get it. But it'll work you know, if you yeah. get it. Yeah, no real Boston crab guys isn't. A, you can put in an ankle lock as well, an Achilles double Achilles lock, but it's really a backbreaker. It's really a lower back submission. Um, now a half crab, I do have a video I did years ago after Gene LaBelle showed it to me. A fairly legit way of turning into uh, a knee bar in the guy's open guard, and if he defends a certain way, you can then switch it into the half crab. And a half crab is legit. And most of the guys show it, and they're high, so it's be like a calf lock, and they're telling you the guy's going to submit because of leg pressure. You got to be lower for the ankle lock you throw in there, but it's really a legitimate lower spine lock is what a Boston Crab or a half crab is. So a half crab is way more legit and even that. You kind of have to have a disparity in level and a disparity in size. And if a guy's a purple belt or up in jiu-jitsu, you're not going to get him in a half crab or a Boston crab unless you've got 60, 70 pounds of muscle on the guy, you know. 
that's that's a thing for marks. That's a thing you can do to the guys that are no good, not against a guy who's uh, legitimate, really. And so if you think some of these show holds are work, they some like I said earlier, watch my stuff that I really do, and I wasn't Boston crabbing a pro pancreas fighter or anything. But did I backbreaker them? Yeah. Do I hip lock them? Yeah. So there's stuff that you think people say is show holds that aren't. They just suck and they only know paint by numbers jujitsu. But there's also stuff like a full crab. Yeah, if you if you got way more experience than a guy and you're way bigger, sure. But against yeah, someone your level, let's see you do it in a, an advanced Naga tur- tournament or something like that. And one example, one example is like in pro wrestling, they do a standing. Uh, they call abdominal stretch. That's an old wrestling guillotine or or twister. Uh, you know, when you watch matches, you see that, and you'll see guys hip tossing each other out. Yeah, of that. I mean uh, that's that that's Antonio Inoki's finisher is basically that. Yeah. From standing, yeah, which is really a, a amateur wrestling uh, stretch, which is a wrestler's guillotine, which is what Bravado, that backstabbing bitch, and I'll beat the fuck out of someday. Uh, that's that's Bravado's, uh, um, you know, twister. Yeah, he stole. Yeah, he stole that, and he wrestled one year, and he stole that move. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next question. What are your guys' thoughts on New Japan Pro Wrestling? Thank you, Wu Bear, for being here regularly on my Dan the Wolfman podcast every Sunday. Uh, so what are your thoughts about New Japan? You got any thoughts? I haven't watched it in a while. Uh, I watched it It's probably when it was on Access TV. That's the last time Access I watched it, too. Uh, yeah, when I had Access yeah. a few years back. I do know that the WWE is, has gotten – taking some of their guys, but I've always been a big fan of a Japanese uh, pro wrestling in general, um, but I can't tell you anything about the current New Japan. Yeah, last time I watched the same thing a few years ago on Axis. Uh, I like it. It's a big show. They're doing things right. They get big crowds even still, and pro wrestling is kind of losing some of its luster even in Japan. I think their crowds are going down. Yeah. I mean, New Japan's kind of big time. I'd love to wrestle for New Japan. Um, my last tag match that started this podcast was All Japan Pro Wrestling. So, you know, I got in with All Japan, and Aoki-san was the champion of All Japan. Um, New Japan's a little bit bigger, uh, bigger crowds, and they were doing stuff in California even and stuff like that with their favorite, not favorite person hosting it and stuff like that. So, um, you know, good production. Uh, I like it more shoot style, more mat wrestling than over the top Lucha Libre flying off the rope style, um, you know, and I think you're the same way, Matthew. So, um, yeah, I mean, overall, it's probably good stuff. And, yeah, I think I think WWE definitely poached some of the Bullet Club talent from from New Japan. Guys, any more questions now or we're going to wrap it up soon? Uh, from Remy, martial arts one-on-one. How do you train pro wrestling for years without getting too many injuries? How do you train anything for years without get, getting too many injuries? The fact of the matter is most fighters and uh, pro wrestlers are on painkillers and they're addicted to drugs because they're in so much pain. And and that's a that's actually ties into the our question, our conversation about the style too. 
because when you go into any of these pro wrestling schools, they have you take bumps, which are like judo break falls. They have you do over and over again. And there's there, there's a big guy, uh, Furman Jeffords. He's a he's a strong man that wrestled. Uh, wrestles in South Carolina. And he used to ask me to go to Susan Green's ring, which was super stiff. It was like an old pride ring and just do bumps. And I said, why the hell would I want to do that? You know, um, he, he was doing it himself and he's got back issues. If you, if you wrestle a style where you're wrestling, you don't have to take bumps because you're throwing the person legitimately. You're, you're, um, sweet, you, you, everything from trips, like you know, outside trips. Every move you're hitting is it, you're you're actually wrestling. So it's a different style, and that goes back to how I started doing pro wrestling back in the '90s with my buddy Dave. Um, we never heard about taking bumps. I mean, we had been, been doing judo, so we knew what breakfalls were. That's why I say, I, I've always had a different style with pro wrestling that's safer on your body. Um, and I think that, Dan, if, if you come in and you wrestle uh, a, a Pat Militich or a Stefan Bonner, you're going to be – you guys are going to have an entertaining, realistic match, and you're not going to be killing yourselves. A lot of these kids are, are – they're killing themselves with the style that they're doing, especially – Doing crazy stuff. And, I mean, I mean, literally yeah. wearing stuff, I like that. If you're a 150, 60-pounder, yeah. I don't want to – I don't want to – I mean – the mats WWE puts out are so thin. I don't want to fly off the top rope, do a double moonsault off, and go into the crowd and hope the guys catch me right and my ankle doesn't get caught. Yeah. And I hope that they're there and I don't land flat on my back. I mean, I mean the guys that are willing to do it, you know, bless them, but they're all beat up, and that's what you know that leads to the alcoholism and addiction and painkillers, just like it does for MMA fighters. My body's shot. It's horrible. And then you take all the brain damage and that CT leads to, you know, being a violent person and, and bad things as well. It certainly doesn't help. So unfortunately you can't fake gravity. And some of these guys are playing a little too much with gravity. Yeah. You, you guys saw in the opener. All right. Bonner. From Dan Adam. Thanks for the question, Remy. And guys, subscribe to his channel for actually effective Aikido and his pressure testing videos. Maybe I'll do a new one. I did a popular Aikido video, the three most effective Aikido locks, uh, and I think Remy's going to do a follow-up video. All right, Dan M says, favorite heels in the business, old and new? I I say Tully Blanchard uh, was a great heel. Uh, Ted DiBiase with the whole million-dollar man. Uh, Gimmick was a, was a great heel. Those are two that, that come to mind. Um, I've always loved to be a heel, and I've loved I've loved the booze, um, and uh, I've always and, and the thing is I don't know about new because the problem with new, I think MJF was is good. I, I saw some of his stuff, but the problem with new is if you're going to be a heel, you got to live the gimmick. Uh, you can't be going on your social media, being a nice guy, or out shaking hands with people. I, I believe you know you got you got to live your gimmick, man. Yeah, you can't break kayfab. Uh, I guess newer guys, maybe Roman Reigns, and I haven't watched in a while. Um, you know, my favorites growing up, and I was at WrestleMania three live, biggest event ever at the time. Joe Louis Arena. I think it was. Uh, 
WrestleMania three, Junkyard Dog, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Junkyard Dog was one of my favorites. Um, and if we go back further, and I know Gene LaBelle respected him, learned a lot from him, Gorgeous George. Gorgeous so, George. Gorgeous George knew how to work the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like yeah. Diamasi saying later, like, you know, you knew how to work that crowd and flap his hair and, you know, <laughs> his gold oh, yeah. locks and, you know. Um, so I, I think I think those guys really know how to work the crowd. All right, last question. We're going to call it a wrap if there's no more. From Rami, what martial art or action guys from Hollywood would you like to do a pro wrestling match with? Well, um, I'll, I'll do a heel answer, and I'll say The Rock because I'd love to stretch him like a rubber band. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Rock gave me a, a right cross near my head, didn't make it in the movie, but you see me in a movie looking all thuggy and cracking my neck. Uh, at the end of the last Jumanji movie, I'm there like boom for like a whole minute, guys. And you see my little fire dodge video from Jack Black, uh, pretty pretty funny. I mean, I, I would get in there with Dwayne Johnson. I mean, I'd prefer to get her in him when he uh, makes the Mark Kerr movie. If you're gonna make the Mark Mark Kerr movie,
Okay, everybody, I think uh, we lost. I think we lost um, Dan. So I'm going to close it out. But great show. Okay, everybody, I think uh, we lost. I think we lost um, Dan. Yeah, I think Dan lost his signal. And I'm getting an echo. But I think I'm going to make a decision executive decision to close it out. But great show. Thank you, Dan, the Wolfman.